sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. Am I the only one who thinks this is totally insane? Rob, we're fighting theological injustice here. They're not using just weights and measures. He said we have 50 listeners. I think he's being generous. Rage of Bible is interpreted by experts. Rob, are you as shocked as I am? It's nonsense. If you've given any money to this, you need to complain. You ask for your money back. I don't know about you, but I find this annoying. What up, and shalom. Welcome to the Rob and Caleb Show. My name is Caleb Haig, and with me, as always, a Rob Van Hop. What up, Rob? What up, and with us today, especially, is Mr. Michael, <laughs> Michael Gonzalez. That's right. And Michael and I are both sporting. We're representing right. TR. Mug. TR mugs. Coffee tastes better. Coffee tastes better when it's out of a TR mug. You can get yours at tourresource.com. So as, uh, as Rob has already because, said. I should say, though, why does coffee taste better when you drink it through a TR mug? Is because if you have a TR mug and you're drinking coffee, that means you are a person of taste and distinction. <laughs> you you have given careful. You, you, it, tastes you value. it tastes better because you know that you're better. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so, it's uh, what it is. As uh, Rob has already said, uh, we have a special guest with us. And I was telling Michael uh, before we came on the air, it, it, the way that you know that we're totally unprepared on the Rob and Caleb show for whatever we're going to talk about is if there's someone extra in the uh, in the studio with us. <laughs> I'm the filler. That's right. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, hey. Actually, I just needed someone else to wear a hoodie so that, That's right. uh, I, so that I wouldn't be shamed next to Caleb's uh, yeah. sharp-dressed man look. I've, I've adopted the tie. I like it. Yeah, so. What does your wife say about this? Oh, she's she, excited. She lo- She's like, man. She loves it. Look- she, she's like, I need new clothes now because, you know, she's like, I'm, I feel underdressed. <laughs> uh anyway so uh if you for some reason don't get emails from torahresource.com then maybe you don't know but torah resource has just taken on michael gonzalez as our arts and graphics director and we are very excited about that michael tell us a little bit about yourself tell the people uh where you came from and what you did before you came to washington well originally i'm from fort worth Texas, and I went to uh, college in, in Dallas at the Art Institute, studied uh, visual communications and uh, graphic design, and uh, got into uh, internet and web design back in 95, and uh, worked at uh, various agencies there in Dallas, and then in, uh, we moved in 99 to uh, Denver, and did the same thing. I worked at uh, some internet agencies, advertising agencies, and uh, branding and design firms, and uh, in 2000. Actually, a year after we had been in Colorado, we started walking in Torah. We left the Catholic Church, my wife and I, and we started walking in Torah in a Messianic community down there. Hang on, hang on. I got to. I'm a Catholic, which is the best of all the religions, really, because we have the most rules and the best clothes. Okay, I'm sorry. Keep going. <laughs> well, that's true. Yeah, that's kind of the <laughs> perspective that I had. But, um, uh, and then in 2004, at the community that we were a part of, I actually became a, a full-time pastor there in a... I helped uh, teach there and uh, did some youth stuff, and uh, and then in 2009 we started our congregation, 
And uh, I got out of the design field and was focusing mainly on leading the community and, and, and that sort of thing. And I used a lot of the Torah resource information. That's why I found out about Torah resource. We actually uh, used the, uh, the information that Tim had provided us to actually start our community. And we relied on Torah resource a lot. And, uh, and so that's my background is, is basically graphic design, web design, uh, even print design. And uh, so now that's my goal is to use everything that the all my skills to uh, help further the uh, the reach of Tor Resource and redesign uh, book covers, redesign every you know everything that we have. Uh, I'm in the process of working with uh, Mark Randall in uh, redesigning the website. Um, if you're seeing new uh, images on our Facebook page, it's because I'm uh, trying to put that out there. Because in addition to just putting out images, I'm trying to connect it to articles and information. As most of you know, we have a wealth of uh, information and material here at Tor Resource, and uh, I just want to make that available. Being a person who has used the information, um, I want to be able to to spread it out and let people know it's there. There's so much stuff on the website for free that I want people to know about it so they can grab it and use it and um, and learn. Yeah, so that's so yeah. Oh wow, we're seeing the same thing. That's just so awesome. I'm so excited too because I know that uh, Michael, you're such a blessing. Um, because there's so much. It, it, I've joked, you know, the internet's kind of like dumpster diving. <laughs> to have to have someone who has a, a, a skill set in communication with visually um, how how people naturally seek information and find information, and to be able to help sharpen our, our, our ministry swords. I, I, uh, it's so awesome because uh, it's so needed. There's the competition for ideas out there, you know, and there's just so much noise. And so I'm excited how the skill set you bring, not only just your love for Torah and, and your, your family values, etc., but that skill set in images and connecting people with information on the Internet. One of the things that... Awesome. Uh, uh, for for designers, one of the things that uh, we it seems to lack whenever we're designing a website or, or whatever it may be is content, mm-hmm. and it's it's kind of like giving a, a a potter just a small piece of clay to create something. Well, with Tor Resource, there is so much material <laughs> that I mean, <laughs> no I've, I've just got so many ideas of, of things to do. I mean, Caleb and I, I think every day that I've been in, we've just bounced around different ideas of things that we can do with the content that we have. And so uh, I look forward to that, to creating uh, or coming up with more creative ways to share um, all of this material and uh, and just get the word out. Well, not only that, but uh, those who follow us on follow Torah Resource on Facebook uh, know that my artistry skills are just horrendous. So if you've seen any of the memes that Torah Resource has ever put up before, no longer will you have to deal with the uh, horrible art <laughs> artwork that I've tried to. <laughs> produce in the past so uh just a little side note then michael also has a wife and six children six children three good boys three gracious girls. Yep. good gracious Only uh, and, and there's some some awesome music talent in that there's uh, a lot family. of music talent yes. yes actually michael's daughter is one uh is one of my cello students so oh uh, speak on cello yes you know that our opening riff bum yeah that that riff yeah can you Master, can you add a layer of cello? That would be really cool. So you want some like cool, you want symphony some, effect with some of that cool Caleb Haig, Jimi Hendrix esque 
signal processing. Okay. Okay. Gene, 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 gene. After I go to the Philippines, and that's actually another point that we should probably bring up. One of the reasons that uh, we've I feel so unprepared is because I haven't prepared for this show at all. I uh, I have been diligently working to get my. <laughs> I love it. Look yes, at that guy. The, the French cop. press. French press. You can hear it. Okay, so anyway, I'm getting ready for uh, the Philippines. My father and I are leaving for the Philippines. I don't know if we're going to have a show next week or not. We might. Uh, if we do, it'll be pre-recorded because I will be on a plane on the way to the Philippines. We will be there for, I think, 11 days. And uh, I'm teaching, I think, seven sessions, maybe eight sessions. Caleb, you're take- you guys are taking all the the audio-video recording little, you know, what do we call that? Our portable recording material uh yeah so we got yeah so we will we'll professionally uh record the audio cool and uh we will uh, actually another blessing that we just got is a new video camera so we got an hd video camera so i will be recording everything in hd now which just make sure that if you wear a vest you don't want those those you know, when you get did the digital cameras get those those weird uh, interference I, I, patterns? Probably. That, like the like the vest I'm wearing right now. Well, your angle it's not so. Yeah. Well, and by the way, the angle for the, those on YouTube it won't stay like this. It's just like this so that you can see Michael too. Okay, um, Rob, are you ready? Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Um, okay, let's do it. It's Rob's Gematria. As you know, Caleb and Michael, this is show number 116. 116. And there are some very important Gematria associations for this <laughs> Okay. One of my favorite is Beliyadayim. Uh, Beliyadayim. Without hands. You ever oh ridden a bicycle without hands? Well... Baliyadayim, without hands. <laughs> no, but also, <laughs> Hacholchim, the ones who go, the walkers. Uh-huh. After you um, ride your bicycle with no hands, then you're a walker. Then you got to walk, exactly. <laughs> That's right. You can walk without <laughs> hands, maybe. How about this? Malchei Yah. Malchei Yah, the, the angels of, of Yah. Yeah. Ha'ola, the burnt offering. Ha'ola. Mm-hmm. Okay. Ha'alef, the Aleph. So not just... not. Olive, but ha olive, the olive, the big one. But here's the big one. The big one for one sixteen is Zona Gitola, the great harlot. Whoa! So I don't know. I don't know what you guys. I'm going to let you guys interpret. <laughs> let us interpret I'm just giving that you the, the way facts. That, okay. I'm giving you the facts. These are uh, each of these uh, phrases or words is the gematria equivalent of our show number one sixteen. All right, well, uh, do with that, people, as you will. You're a legend in your own mind. Your mom goes to college. I think that view is headed for a deep mischief. What else is going on? We got, uh, so I, oh, oh yeah, I suppose we should open up the TR mailbag, right? Because, or the Robin Caleb show mailbag because I can't find any of my stuff. Uh, because I asked people, we only got two emails. I asked people to send me ideas. We got two emails, and one of them, the first one, well, let's open it up first, and then I'll tell you all about it. Mail time. Mail time. Mail time. Mail here. So check this out. This is the, the first one we get. I've been interested in your thoughts on assisted suicide. Oh, come on. Uh, 
given it is a hot topic in Europe and now Canada is discussing it, do people who commit suicide go to hell? Uh, and if I help someone kill themselves, is it murder? Thanks, Julie from New Zealand. Well, Julie, thank you very much for at least writing. You know, I don't know, out of the 36 people who listen to this show, you uh, are one of two that wrote in. So actually, I, I don't know, I guess that's a pretty good percentage. Anyway, um, assisted suicide is pretty much something I'm not going to touch with a 10-foot pole. Uh, because I honestly, I don't know. You know, you have the idea of if someone is uh, just suffering and all those kind of things, uh, can you give them something to help them uh, pass? I mean, I don't know. When I, you know, working in the graphic design field, we did uh, work for a lot of different companies. And one of them was out of uh, Boulder uh, when when I was in Denver, the Denver area. And um, this particular group, it was a assisted um, a suicide group. And I just found it a very strange culture you know because when you're part of a business you want to um, live and breathe and you know and just really try and promote your business whatever it is that you're doing and this guy was just overzealous about <laughs> assisted suicide I mean he just I got a cold oh just, really here's my card you need help with that <laughs> yeah it was a it's a strange culture I mean it's a strange kind of thing to be uh, really pro assisted suicide and even just to to push it I mean that it was it was an interesting experience for me anyway I, for me, you know, here's the thing. I think that there, I, I think that there's different facets to this whole argument. Because if someone is on, you know, on uh, different things that are keeping them alive, I don't think that there's necessarily anything morally wrong with taking them off of life support, with taking them off of the things that might be helping them stay alive. A person who has, you know, terminal cancer or is somehow in extreme pain and agony. I sympathize, but I don't have a good answer for that. You know, the, uh, where is it in the where it says uh, if a man has a, you know, give him wine. You know what I'm talking about? If a man has an illness, yeah. Paul writes. I think it's to Timothy. Yeah. Uh, if he's his stomach's troubling him, or that's kind of thing. yeah. So, um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't believe. I also don't believe in the Catholic idea that uh, you know suicide is some kind of a uh, you know unforgivable unforgivable sin uh, per se. However. Um, I would assume that someone who has the light wouldn't necessarily think of ending their own life. However, we can we can yeah, af- yeah. just assert that. <clears throat> pardon me. God's will is life, right? His Torah is to help promote life, and that's what we're about. Uh, and I think finding ways to encourage and promote life is is a key value. We got this guy at my congregation. His name's Mark. He's been having some uh, some issues with some medication that he's been ha- taking. Anyway, he has like this high pitched, like as if like the sound system, you know, like when there's a glitch or something and it blares, you know, like there's feedback or something. He says that's going on in his head all the time. Oh. That would make me go insane. Like at there, there would be a point where I'd be like, maybe have, have you seen the new X files? <laughs> you watching the new X files on Netflix. Anyway, uh, there would be a point where I'd want to like, take up ice pick and, <laughs> you know, like stop the ringing. Um, but I, once again, I, I don't have an answer for that. It's that, that's such well, a, like that movie pie. Yeah. Well, I've never seen that, but oh, anyway, okay. drill in the head, yeah, you know, was, uh, if you it's can, a family show, I guess we, <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, with all the technology that we have today, I mean, we, 
are able to keep people alive. You know, if you consider, you know, mm-hmm. back in biblical times, I mean, if someone was terminally ill, they're they're going to die. I mean, I don't, there, there's no life support. So I think this is an, an interesting time in history where we have life support. And, you're, you know, if, if you take someone off life support, is that assisted suicide or, you know, they're, they're going to they're gonna die if they need, you know, support to live. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it would be, I'm thankful that I've <laughs> never been in that situation to make those kinds of decisions. No doubt. But that would be something that you're in that position to definitely be seeking prayer, you know, uh, uh, be seeking counsel from your community and... Yeah. Look, look at the comedians in the chat room right now. Nice, Mike. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, and yes, not the Mark. I wasn't talking about Mark Randall, the guy who does our uh, our websites. And hi, Mark, by the way. Okay. Um, let's move on then. I'm going to click out of this one. Um, well, we could go on with the mailbag. Or we could just... Well, yeah. Okay. Let's go on with the mailbag. Hang on just a sec. <laughs> okay. So... So no assistance for the assisted suicide Yeah, I, I can't uh, help you. Request. I can't help you with that. Okay, uh, this person writes in and says, uh, now actually this was somebody else writing a friend of ours. So this is kind of like a game of telephone. This person wrote a friend. The friend wrote us and said, what do you say to this? Uh, she says, I listened to Ari Abramowitz. Now I did some research on Ari Abramowitz. This uh, gentleman is... Uh, Jewish, I believe he is, I don't know if he's Orthodox or not, I think he is, I think he's an Orthodox Jew, I could be wrong about that, he's from Texas, he's, he actually ran for the Knesset in Israel, he runs a website called landofisrael.com, um, and I think, I'm not positive about this, I, you know, I started looking maybe about a half an hour before we went on air, and a lot of the stuff that, that uh, came up on Google obviously was uh, political, because it seems like he's in that political sphere, and so I couldn't find anything on uh, specifically on his uh, religious stance. Now, I didn't look very hard, to be completely honest. So I don't know. Uh, I'm assuming that he is an Orthodox Jew, uh, and uh, but he might, you know, anyway. And so she says, I listened to Ari Abramowitz from I- Israel speak tonight. Uh, can you call? Uh, yeah, so... Uh, uh, what does what do we say about people who are not who are not believers in Yeshua but follow Torah? In other words, they're Jewish but and and follow Torah but don't believe in Yeshua. Now we've we've pretty much talked about this the past two shows, right? Because we talked about uh, Ken Rank and Pete Rambo, who are basically advocating for the idea that uh, religious Jews who keep Torah and believe in a Messiah, even though they say they don't believe in Yeshua. Rank and Rambo seem to be pushing this idea that, no, they really do believe in Yeshua, even though they say they don't. Um, so we've already kind of touched on the, that, just, but, I mean, very briefly. I don't think that a person who denies Yeshua and thinks that Yeshua is an, uh, an idolater and believing in Yeshua is idolatry, I don't believe that that person... Uh, or believes that he's a heretic, yes. or only for other people, but not for me. Any of the any variation thereof. Yeah, I I believe that those people have not have not accepted the blood of the Messiah on their behalf, and therefore, uh, at the present time, are not are not uh, are not covered by that blood. Right? Thoughts on Yeshua that? said, my, uh, "My sheep hear my voice." Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, there's there's no. Here, here's one of the confusion things, I think. Remember, I, we did this at family camp this last year. We, I used the picture of the sports event 
where you have, let's say everybody's at a baseball game, but you have a, one little section of the audience is using football terminology to interpret the game they're watching. So like a home run, they go, oh, touchdown, you know, or, or they, <laughs> they, they're using the wrong terminology for the sport. Well, in the same way, you have these terms like ball that do connect all these different sports, right? The word ball is used in a lot of different sports. But in each sport, it means something very, very different. In the same way, I think people are confused. They think, oh, Orthodox Jew who keeps Torah. Those are such general concepts. They don't realize that the word Torah is a contested term itself, right? That we, those who are in Yeshua, right, right, explain those that. Disci- what, explain disciples... Explain that. What do, you, what do you mean by Torah, Torah is a contested term in and of itself? The term Torah. So are you saying that... Torah, if so, you're in a rabbinic circle, Torah does not mean the same thing as it is to a person who's the Torah of the Messiah, who's in, in Yeshua. Are you they're saying, so like same, oral Torah... Extensive or, terms. Oral Torah versus... So like if you say... That's one part, yeah. If you say Torah within an ultra-Orthodox community, they automatically assume Midrash Rabbah, they assume oh, no, Talmud... If, they, if it's, quote, or, Orthodox Judaism does not is not an undefined term. Orthodox Judaism is a, what we would call a denomination. It, the Orthodox Judaism is a, a lifestyle that upholds rabbinic halakha as the word of God. Point blank, obligatory word of God. And that you know whether or not you are keeping this or that commandment by if you did the procedures according to rabbinic halakha. And if you transgress the halakha, it's as if you, you haven't fulfilled the obligation to the commandment. That's, that is not what discipleship to Yeshua is like at all. But yet we too have the word Torah. So, but, but if we don't think critically, if we imagine, if we, it's the same thing with these categories of Judaism or Christianity. We live in a world where we can't just uncritically use these terms and throw these terms around. Otherwise, it's like we're burying our head in the sand. The word Torah, we have to, we, we have to be conscious of the way we're using the word Torah and what we mean by it. And when we do that and we privilege the Gospels and the, the apostolic writings and the message thereof, when we privilege that as our value, that, that by nature shapes our way of life, the way we think of the Torah, etc. And if I'm talking to someone else who just happens to have the same word Torah, that could be like a baseball player talking to a football player about a ball, and they, they think they're talking about the same game. So wait, whole, let, me, let me see if I understand. When you bring the critical element, you realize the baseball player's going, wow, I'm not even talking. Man, I'm talking about something completely different than that guy, but we're both using the same ball, the so same let, word. Let me, let, me, let me repeat and see if I understand what you're saying. So uh, let me put it in, in my own terms. I have an Orthodox Jewish friend. He says, oh, well, I, you know, I, I keep the Torah, and it looks like you're trying to keep the Torah, but you don't keep it correctly. And I say, well, I don't think you're keeping it – like he, he's keeping what he thinks is rabbinic halakha, calling it Torah. I don't believe that he's keeping Torah though because it's not through the spirit of – the Holy Spirit. New and, creation. And new creation. New creation of the Messiah. He's old man. Old man trying to do rules, <clears throat> right? Old man versus new man. Born from above, it has a completely different orientation to the world. Okay. I so, mean, so Mike, and, and we, we have – Rob and I have talked about this for the two past weeks. But – 
as someone who's led a community before, what do you say to the person who says, I got an Orthodox friend who keeps Torah, but isn't, but doesn't believe in Yeshua? Are they going to heaven? No. Yeshua is clear. There's only one way to the Father, and it's through him. Cut and dry. <laughs> that's what I like. Boom. I mean, I it, mean it, what else do we need to say, right? Yeah, oh, but that's I mean, so it's... judgmental of you, and that's mean. <laughs> How dare you judge me? No, yeah. what, I agree with Michael. He's not, this is, thankfully, praise Yeshua. He didn't give us the, op, the, the job of judging other people's souls, right? I mean, right. That we're, not, we're not put in that seat. We have to trust that all authority is given to him on heaven, in heaven and on earth. And right. the Father is, is set Yeshua up to be the judge of all things. And, that's, and we have to trust that. But we can't, uh, once we start saying that there are other possible ways to please the Father, apart from the one act that in, uh, since creation that the Father did, which was to send his Son to die, to purchase souls who were lost in sin, if we if we deny the one act that the Father did, and imagine there's another access, we've created a different vision of of what the Hebrew Bible, what the Tanakh is all about. That's why the, the people who are trying to say, I know people, I have conversations often with people that are saying, well, Yeshua is not deity. Yeshua is a man, or Yeshua is a created being. Can you prove that yod heh is Yeshua and all this? And what they're trying to do, they're trying to imagine, trying to put all the apostolic writings on a shelf mm-hmm. and say, I'm just going to read the scriptures. I'm just going to read the Jewish scriptures, the Tanakh, and I'm going to decide what the Messiah should look like by the way I'm reading this text. I'm going to decide what the Godhead looks like and who yod heh is. And then I'm going to, once I know that, I'm going to go and I'll start sifting through the apostolic writings and I'll judge what I want to keep and what I don't want to keep and where Yeshua fits into the picture. Have you ever talked to people who, are, that's their approach? Well, you know, one of the things that, that, I've, that I have come across is, uh, you know, people, they just have a big heart, and they can't imagine that their well-intentioned Jewish friend, or even, uh, you know, just a non-believer, they're a good person, they're, they're nice, um, how could God send someone like that to hell? Um, they're, you know, they're, they're a good person. And uh, unfortunately, I think people well some of the people that, that I've come across is that they they don't want to examine the scriptures they don't want to search out what the scriptures say they want to go by their feelings and what they think sounds right what what they think feels good and I, I've seen uh, people leave communities because of that because uh, the pastor is saying or the teacher the elder overseer whatever uh, you may call them um, they're saying that that they um, their good friends are going to go to hell. So they don't want to hear that, and so they'll leave and go to another community that will say that there is any way, you know, if you're a good person, you're going to, you're going to make it in. If you're a Jew, you're going to make it in. And um, What's, what's interesting there is that we're, we're <clears throat> the, if you examine that, that perspective, it's a perspective that feels entitled to life. Right. Well, as if, I, as it, if, as I, if somehow I'm entitled to have not only a life here on this planet, but I'm entitled just because uh, how good I am I'm entitled to more than what I already have, and I'm not even acknowledging that the life I have is something that I didn't originate. <laughs> sure. It's conforming God to us as opposed the miracle, to, to us conforming right. to God. And if we, if we see that, we, that, that God is holy, that he has a holy Torah, 
and we see our sin as and the gap between the holiness of his word and our sinfulness, if we see that gap, we see that we are not entitled to squat and that he would be just to wipe out the world, any of us. Just because I say I, I believe I'm in, in Yeshua and I have life in him doesn't mean I think I'm better or that I'm entitled to it. No, I'm not entitled to the next breath I have. And so the fact that he would redeem souls and save them and, and uh, deliver them from the bondage to sin and give them the gift of everlasting life, that is a, an amazing miracle. It's not something that we expect because we uh, believe that we deserve it or we're entitled to it. Uh, I think that's an important thing we need to keep in mind. One of the, the similarities that I found that, that made my transition from Roman Catholicism into uh, the Messianic uh, faith, and, faith and gave me an understanding of uh, Judaism is the teachings of the Catholic Church and how, and I was explaining this to Caleb the other day, that uh, because I was baptized as a baby, I was in. And, and we lived near uh, a Baptist seminary back in Fort Worth, and we always had um, seminary students picking us up, taking us to their home and showing us Jesus movies and giving us cookies and trying to get us saved. And I remember when they, <laughs> when they would ask me, are you saved? Are you born again? My answer was always, I'm Catholic. Yeah, of course. Because to me, that meant I'm in. I'm in. You yeah. know, you don't need to be asking me this. I, I, I'm i in. And when we came to faith, when we came to uh, an understanding of the Torah, I remember it was an eye-opening thing for me that, you see, in, in high school or in my um, uh, young adulthood, I found a loophole in the Catholic Church. I could sin. I could live like a heathen. As long as I went to confession, I was good. And so that was the loophole that I found. I mean, that, that's, that's allowed in the Catholic Church. You can live like a total heathen just as long as you go to confession, then you can receive the Eucharist, and you know, and then you're going to be good. And so that was the loophole that, that I found. And once I started walking in Torah, once I started really studying the Bible, I began to realize, wait a minute, I'm expected to live a certain way? I can't just live, you know, like like <laughs> Wait, the world when they go rules? to confession. You know, it, 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 you know, I have to exemplify uh, my faith through uh, my my lifestyle, and uh, and so that was that uh, changed me. I mean, that helped me to understand that okay, there's a little bit more to this than just uh, following these rules. And that's when I, I really understood. I didn't know the Bible at all. All I knew was Catholic Doctrine. rules. Yes, yeah. the catechism. That that's that's what I knew, and so that's. How I see um, uh, rabbinic Judaism is that they they understand their tradition. They understand the uh, the halacha that that's been created and their understanding of, of how to walk their traditions out, which they believe is what is uh, is you know that's going to get them to the world to come or, or, or whatever it is. But uh, that's that's well put, Michael. That's it's so true what you're saying because historically. Rabbinic, what we think of as rabbinic Judaism and Catholicism are very much, they look the same from an alien's eyes. In other words, they both are deeply rooted in uh, hierarchical tradition, um, legal definitions of, of identity, and um, extensive, extensive leaning on uh, a, a supposed authority that is independent from the scriptures. Um, so there's a lot of parallels there. Wow. So, um, I'm going to change gears just a little bit here. So we've talked about 
this kind of stuff. But the I had actually someone who's in the chat room on Shabbat said, well, you called him speaking. I think they were talking about Pete Rambo or maybe Ken Rank. You called him a heretic on your show. And I said, oh, no, 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 no. I didn't call him a heretic. I did not call him a heretic. I called what the doctrine that he was preaching heretical. And uh, the person said, well, you know, same, same thing, right? And I would say, no, it's not the same thing. And then actually, Rob asked me just, uh, just yesterday, what do you mean by heretic? And that's a great question. So the idea of what is a heretic Actually, let's go first to what is heretical doctrine. I think heretical doctrine is anything, and this is this is important for me to to explain because I don't want people to misunderstand what I'm trying to say when I'm talking about heretical doctrine or a heretic, which we don't we try not to use the H word in reference to people heretic um, because that is that's. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a second. So a heretical doctrine in my mind is anything that goes against the Bible. Anything that is that is teaching contrary to what the Bible teaches. That's a heretical doctrine. So I think that all of us have some form of a heretical doctrine uh, within our theology. We might not, you know, uh, N.T. Wright always said to his students when he was teaching, uh, 30% of what I'm going to tell you is wrong. I just don't know what 30%, what that 30% is. So... Uh, I I would say that we all have flaws in our theology. We might not see them for what they are, but we all have some flaws in our theology, I'm sure. And so uh, a heretical doctrine is anything that goes against what the Bible teaches. A, a heretic, in my mind, is someone who is not covered by the blood of the Messiah. So um, I think that there are things that I think are very, very, I mean, one of the reasons I don't like calling people a heretic is because that makes me the judge. I'm not the judge of a person. The Almighty is the judge. Now, I can read the Bible. I can see what the Bible says. I can see what the Bible tells me about a person being saved and a person not being saved. Look, when we have uh, people who say that Yeshua is not God, that he's not yod heh vav uh, in my mind, that's coming pretty close. You know, That's a heretical doctrine. And uh, in my mind, that's not believing in the same God I believe in. I believe that Yeshua is yod heh If someone else doesn't believe he's yod heh then they don't believe in the same God I do. You might believe in the God of Israel. I might believe in the God of Israel. But we believe that God of Israel is two separate things. Um, but even somebody who denies the deity, the Messiah, even someone who, um, I mean, I, ha- I have a very, very difficult time trying to call someone a heretic. Even someone who might deny the the uh, the Messiah himself, um, even though the Scripture clearly tells me that that person is not, I don't know what you would say, in or not covered by the blood of the Messiah, I have a hard time calling that person a heretic because, once again, I'm not the judge. I can call it a heretical doctrine. Um, there are some people that I've I've uh, I think I've called one or two people a heretic uh, recently, but I, I certainly wouldn't do it publicly. Uh, that's usually uh, in personal conversations. What do you think, you know, Rob? It, well, I, I like what you're saying. I, uh, you know, in, in our local community here, we've been reading through Luke Acts. We finished Luke last year, and so we're reading through Acts this year. And we just have been reading about, you know, how Saul becomes Paul, basically, you know, both sides of the 
uh, the Damascus Road uh, event. And there's a passage, I think it might be in Acts 9, I don't remember off the top of my head, but where Paul goes to, I think he's Jerusalem, I think he goes to Jerusalem and he wants to, he wants to connect up with the disciples. And they don't, they're like, they don't believe him because they know, they know the stories, you know, they know who he is and what he's been involved in and they don't trust him. And then Barnabas steps in and says, wait, wait, you can trust this guy. I've seen him, uh, I've seen him in action. I've seen him arguing for Yeshua now. He's totally on board, you know. And then they re- and then they're they're like reassured about who Paul is. So why I think it's so great and I'm so thankful that uh the Lord has included that in the scriptures is because it gives us a picture of of uh you know, if we would imagine ourselves to be one of that those early discipleship circles uh, of Yeshua in Jerusalem and maybe even suffering directly, maybe our loved ones have been maybe pulled away by Saul of Tarsus, etc., and been tried and maybe even executed. Um, what kinds of stories would I be telling myself about that person, Saul of Tarsus? You know, wow, he's, he's claiming to do everything he's doing in the name of the God of Israel. He, from the outside, it looks like this guy is a zealous for the Torah, you know, uh, am I? Would I ever question myself? Man, maybe, maybe, am I on the wrong side by following this Yeshua guy? Who's, you know, I mean, you see that that that's very real there. Um, but, but what we do see is that those early believers they were anchored in who Yeshua was, and they they were human too. So when Paul finally came and said, "Hey, look, I believe, I was wrong." They're still hesitant. They're human. They're like, well, wait a minute. I don't know if we believe you because, you know, look at everything you've done. But eventually, you know, Paul ends up writing so many letters that are really important to us as uh, as disciples of Yeshua. Um, that's an example. Would they have called him a heretic? I think no. I, I think that uh, when Yeshua says, love those who persecute you, pray for those who persecute you, I have to believe that maybe not all, but some of them, especially after the stoning of Stephen, you know, that they were praying mm-hmm. yeah. for those leaders, Israel leader, Israelite leaders who were persecuting the way, that they were, they didn't write them off yet. They weren't writing those guys off. They were just believing and praying that God would would save even some of them. So Mark says, I guess it's when someone says a person is teaching a heretical doctrine. It would be hard to not perceive the person teaching it a heretic. Okay, once again, I understand where your mind might go to that, but I think anyone who, like, okay, there's one thing to teach a heretical doctrine. I think people can t- teach heretical some heretical doctrine and still be saved. Because, and the reason why is because, look, okay, for, we had somebody write in and ask about hell. Uh, this is a, a topic that could take up a whole show, and I don't think we're going to be able to get to it. You can find an article that my dad wrote on uh, on hell onto our resource. It's new. We just posted it on the, in the articles uh, English articles section. Uh, Lex Myers is a teacher out of Oklahoma. He uh, runs a site, Unlearn, and uh, he just wrote a book about hell and how he he believes in uh, annihilation doctrine, meaning that there is no hell. And uh, 
is this doctrine a true doctrine? No, I don't think it is. I think that if you look at the scriptures, the scriptures are quite clear that, that there is a, uh, a punishment, that there is an eternal punishment, and that that uh, eternal punishment is what people refer to as hell. So do I believe that Lex Myers is teaching a heretical doctrine in saying that there's no hell? Well, it's in my mind, it goes contrary to what the scriptures say. So yes, that's a heretical doctrine. However, is Lex Myers saved? Well, of, it sure seems like he professes the Messiah, so I'm not going to say that the guy's a heretic, because in my mind, heretic says that he is not under the covering of the blood of the Messiah. But Lex Myers seems to be a faithful servant of, of Yeshua. Now, granted, we disagree on things, uh, Lex and I do, but that doesn't. I'm certainly not going to say that the that the man doesn't have a relationship with Yeshua. That doesn't mean that some of the things that he teaches are, are aren't wrong. Now, saying that uh, one of the problems that I do have with people like Ken Rank, and I'm not calling Ken Rank a heretic. Please do not hear me say that. But the but the heretical doctrine that he is clearly teaching that a person who is an Orthodox Jew who uh, says that uh, that Yeshua was a sorcerer and uh, that anyone who follows him is an idolater and all these things and rejects Yeshua as the Messiah. This is a heretical doctrine, but in my mind, this is a very dangerous heretical doctrine. And the reason why is because it cheapens the blood of the Messiah. To say that that Orthodox Jew is covered by the blood of the Messiah, even though he rejects Yeshua... This is a cheapening of the, of the blood, of, uh, of the work done on the cross. So I'm not calling Ken Rank a heretic. However, it is certainly a, uh, a destructive, heretical doctrine, what he's teaching. Thoughts? <laughs> public, uh, public actions uh, should be open to public scrutiny. And when someone is teaching, uh, and, and they're, they're claiming to be, a Bible teacher, a Torah teacher, then their teachings, their public teachings that they're giving out are open to public scrutiny. And I know some, some people don't like to hear. I've, I've um, This one fellow I talked to here recently, he didn't like the idea that Torah Resource puts out articles um, to come against some teachings in the Messianic movement. And even um, even the show, they, they think that, uh, you know, you guys are a little bit too harsh. And I'm telling them, listen. Most people do. <laughs> you know, what, what What they're doing is they're just exposing uh, bad teaching. And and if you're putting something out there publicly, then you better be ready to, to defend it. And um, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. In fact, it's something that we should do. We can't judge people's hearts, like you're saying, but we can judge their actions. And in the same way with uh, with Bible teaching, I mean, yeah, you can't judge their heart, but you can judge the way that they've come, the way they've approached the text, the way that they have interpreted it. Then yeah, that's open for uh, it's open for discussion, and in fact, we should um, discuss it. And when you see that it's something that is dangerous, like you're saying, and it's just you know it's really bad, then yeah, that's when we bring it to light and we uh, uh, share what we understand about it with other people, so they can be educated, and make the. Uh, and it's decision. not that we're it's not that we're heresy hunters. It's that people come. We know from our own communities, from our own network of relationships. We know from people who email us, say, "Hey, I read this." person said this this and this but this other person said this this and this i'm not sure who to yeah, who exactly. to trust i mean in other words as <laughs> when we when we take uh our skills and our the competencies the strengths that the lord has equipped us with and we want to help feed his flock when that's our our des- heart's desire we encounter you know there's there's a 
I don't know, rocks in the beans, right? Or there's poison <laughs> in the water. You know, there's different things. We have to, we have to help people. Beans. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we buy a big, big bag of organic uh, pinto beans. <laughs> You can't just you. You got to rinse that stuff. You got to get the rocks out of there. Everybody who's tried to go healthy knows exactly what you're talking about, man. <laughs> okay. And anyway, you got to. We have to separate that. We have to show what is the wheat and what is the chaff, right? Yeah. We have that's. There's a separation there. It's not. Oh, just eat the. Just eat it all. You know. Just eat it. No discernment necessary. Don't care. Okay, so hang on. I got, I got one more thing here is that uh, for me, a person who teaches a heretical doctrine is someone that I am able to still fellowship with in certain instances. For instance, if Ken Rank showed up at my congregation, uh, it's not my congregation, I, you know, I just attend there. But uh, if he showed up at the congregation that I attend uh, at, um, I wouldn't have a problem praying with him, singing with him breaking bread with him, uh, you know, uh, we might disagree and be able to have that conversation. Uh, but I would still be able to fellowship with him. Someone who is a heretic, on the other hand, uh, and came to that congregation, I would have a very hard time praying with them, uh, uh, worshiping with them, and uh, breaking bread with them. Um, now, it seems to me that Paul, in Second Thessalonians, even says that Sometimes we don't fellowship with brothers. Listen to what he says. Second Thessalonians 3.13. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. So, I mean, it seems as though uh, there are times when we still have... Um, we still are supposed to consider people brothers that we aren't fellowshipping with. What do you think, Rob? And why, why are you laughing? <laughs> I just thought of the new show idea. Heresy Hunters. <laughs> Heresy Hunters. And I was thinking like that. I said I'd, I'd watch it if, if I was It's the new idea. scrolled through Netflix and I saw Heresy Hunters. I'd like, okay, I got at least at least, at watch least check it, it five out. Minutes. Give it five minutes to see if it. Okay. I'm sorry, Caleb. No, that's a good one. What do you think, Rob? Would you uh, would you fellowship with somebody who? That's uh, a tough one. That's a tough one. I, I would I would uh, I'd want to talk with them. Yeah, I mean, I, it depends on what we mean. What do we mean by fellowship, right? In in terms of engage in extensive um, time commitment, uh, we're all finite in our ability to give time to people, you know, and we have to prioritize. Make sure we're giving time to our our spouses if we're married, our our children. Um, those who we are ministering to regularly, um, we have to prioritize. And then, but there's there should be a time in our life where where we are where we are able to interact with people who believe differently, and to you know have to try to build conversation, and to try to you know that's with, true, and, and where we can say, look, you know, I'm, I will try to persuade you to see it my way, you know. And, and the H files. The H files. <laughs> okay, so uh, now I, sa- I said that we weren't prepared for this show, so we're just going on. We're flying by the seat of our pants. I like it when we don't prepare. That's <laughs> cool. I don't. I feel very vulnerable. Um, however, we got one more thing. So this show is probably going to be short. We're at 46 minutes right now, so we're doing good. But uh, this is probably going to be a short show. I will bring this over so you can see this. 
as well, uh, Mike, Michael. Okay, so um, if you haven't seen this on Facebook yet, then you're not following the right people, I guess. Uh, these we found we now Michael and I were talking about this before the show too, whether or not these were recently found or if they've were found years ago and they're just being released. But two seals have been found in Jerusalem, a man's seal and a woman's seal, and they date back to the Iron Age, the eighth to ninth century BCE. That is amazing. First temple period. First temple period. We're talking. 700 years, give or take, after uh, the exodus from Egypt. So very close. I mean, in my mind, it's a lot closer than, but close to the exodus from Egypt. Uh, So you've had Israel come in now. They've set up uh, city-state, all these kind of things. Uh, you got the tribes working, the temples built, right? This is before the exile, the Babylonian exile. Um, Talk about it, Rob. What do you think? Well, this... uh... You can on the internet. You can find a picture of it. It's made of some sort of precious stone. I didn't catch which what it is, and it might have been on a ring. Or yeah, a seal. that's what it looks like. Uh, uh, but basically, this is a a seal. So it's it's in reverse. You know, Michael, what do you call that when you when you do a uh, an imprint? Yeah, it's like a negative. It's a negative. Imprint. Yeah. <clears throat> so not only did the the scribes who make this know how to do Hebrew, but they knew how to do negative, <laughs> so that when it presses into clay. It would leave, you know, it could be legible. And it says, uh, it's a name of one of the exceptional things is it's the name of a woman. Elihana Bat Gael. Elihana Bat Gael. So this is a, a woman for her to be in a position in the, socially where she would have her own seal means she had legal authority and it says that she, and and the seal says that she owned a piece of land it gives reference to a a lot a lot that she that she owned oh wait that, well there's uh, are you sure that's not talking about the guy uh, okay so there was two two of them found the first seal reads uh, cuz the the babatha batshimon that is a later that was just another woman that they mentioned from the second temple period who also had... Okay, so translation register one, belonging to Eliua, daughter of Goel, as is customary for seals, this seal and the other one begin with the letter Lamed, that is the Lamed of ownership. The first personal name on this seal, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, maybe you're right. Well, um, there was, I think, in the article I read, uh, it had reference to a second temple uh, stash that uh, of a text that had a woman who owned property. So the idea was in both in, you know, whether it was a thousand BC or zero BC, you know, that there is uh, evidence in Jewish culture of women having um, authority to make purchases and to represent, you know, in, in legal situations. And I liked one of the articles referenced Proverbs 31, mm-hmm, and it talks yeah. about the, the woman who sees a field and she buys it, and she's, she's engaged in trade, and that this archaeological evidence matches up with that ideal. The, with, funny, oh, the, the funny thing is, is that my dad gives a class at Torah Resource Institute. I forget exactly what the name of the class is. I took it the first year, and uh, I wrote for the final paper, I wrote uh, on women in the first century and, whether, and how many rights they had. 
you know, could they own land, all these kind of things. So that was the, the paper I wrote. It was probably one of the worst papers I've ever written in school, to be honest with you. But, it, <clears throat> but since then, every single year, somebody has emailed me and said, including Adam, Adam Smith, who's in the tra- chat room right now, people have emailed me and said, hey, I'm in your dad's class. I'm writing on women in the first century and whether or not they, you know, how many rights they had. And I was wondering if you have anything on it. And so all those people who have written papers on women in the first century and uh, their their rights, uh, this seal actually brings new uh, light. We're going to have to go back and rewrite our papers. I would have to anyway because mine was absolutely horrendous. Uh, But, yeah, I think it's interesting. So do you know, Rob, did they find this? When did they find the seal? Was it recent or have they had it for a long time and they're just releasing it now? I think it was... Reached, uh, recently found. Because it says recently released in the one that I'm looking at. So. Yeah. yeah. And, it, to, and to answer the question, I believe <clears throat> that this the script, uh, the font form on the seals is more of a Paleo-Hebrew. One of the reasons that they're able to date it to the 7th, 8th century BCE is because of the style of Hebrew that seems to be uh, <clears throat> written on the rings. Yeah. Here's, a, here's one of the key uh, after nine years of excavating by the Israel Antiquities Authority, uh, etc., archaeologists at the site succeeded in reaching the strata of ancient Jerusalem dating to the first temple period. In other words, you got to remember, right? Because there's just layers of yeah. Uh, they have to. They got down, and uh, it says there was a surprise awaiting them. Hang on, people might two, people people might, two seals. People might not understand this. Basically, what they would do is if. Uh, if a, a are these were, the same seals that the, they use the skins to build oh, the fake. Mishkan? Oh, man. Um, what they would do... How it, did seals get to Jerusalem? Uh, Rob. Man. I thought it was a porpoise. <laughs> this is, the, <laughs> the porpoise this is what I have to deal with every day in the tort resource office. Uh, <laughs> the, 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 uh, the quality of jokes is... Uh, anyway... Um, what they would do in in uh, the ancient Near East is if a ta- if a city was taken or whatnot, if there was a lot of debris, they would just put it all down and they'd build on top of it. So you have these different layers of what they call trash heaps. You know, they'd take all the trash, they'd put it down, and then they'd build on top of it. So archaeologists are trying to get down, but every trash heap that they find, they have to basically uh, layer of tr- every layer of trash they find. It's like cities that they're unearthing in this layer of trash so it's very i mean it's it's very time consuming also because one layer of trash can tell you you know about an entire uh snapshot of time in the ancient near east anyway um what do you think this will do any any i mean any good uh you think this will this or is it just a good find i think it's it it builds our uh there's, you know, the archaeologists are, they build a treasury of uh, material artifacts from the first temple period. You know, we have other seal. This isn't the only seal that we have. We have other seals uh, and some of Israelite kings. And it's important to understand the material culture. It's, under, it's important for language because we can see how the Hebrew language is used. Yeah. Like you mentioned, the Lamed, Le, you know, that means uh, belonging to. Uh, the style of the script can be analyzed and compared with other inscriptions. We can see uh, the quality of the stone and how it was carved to understand what kind of uh, skills were available in the local, you know, in scribal community and in 
I don't know what do they call people who deal with gems and you know I mean all the if you think about the economy that must have been in place in order for these uh, items to have value in society I think it's it's wonderful I, I think it's great that they're able to discern and that this is uh, under the oversight of the Israeli Antiquities yeah. Authority why is that important because it needs to we need to have clear disciplined method when dealing with archaeological discoveries. We, we need to know where it was found, where it came from, the proceed, was it correct procedures? Because that's the only way we can say, yes, this is legit. This stands in a court of law. Not like, oh, hey, look what I found. <laughs> you know, I was just out there and I found this and, and, and I'm going to sell it to you for $100,000 and when we don't know anything about the story. And that's how, you know, the Messianic movement, sadly, I think as... as seen its its uh, share of fraudulent uh, claims as to, oh, you know. So we need the archaeologist's method, which is sound, it's critical, it's demanding, and it's, it, they have to have patience. Nine years. I mean, think about it. What have you worked on for nine years without seeing a result and then in the, in only then you're like, okay. It's only when you have patience, you have perseverance, and you have a method. You're, you know that you're digging for a purpose. And that could be your study of scriptures, you know. These guys aren't trying it for two years. And if they would have given up even at year eight, right, they would have yeah, never would have, made yeah. the discovery. So that's a lesson in, in many respects. Okay. We're going to take off. But uh, before we go, Mike, anything else you want to say uh, before, before we uh, get off air? Uh, no, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me on today. Yeah, man. Absolutely. All right. Well, hey, um, I'm leaving for the Philippines. I hope that everybody will pray for me while I'm in the Philippines, while I'm traveling. Uh, it'll be one of the first times that I'm actually teaching. And so I'm very excited for it. A little nervous and, uh, but I'm sure it'll be a good time. I, uh, yeah, I don't know what we're going to do for, for the Robin Caleb show. Next week, uh, we might have something pre-recorded. If we do, the chat room will still be open. Um, or send us your favorite episode if you want us to play Ooh, an old yeah. episode from yeah. any year, <laughs> from our past two seasons. <laughs> um, yeah, so if you want to, if you want to hear a show, well, we'll definitely have at least one show recorded while I'm in the Philippines. Uh, pre, you know, from from a previous year. So uh, send us what show you want to hear, and uh, we'd be happy to play it. All right, see uh, Hag at ToraResource.com or Van Hoff at ToraResource.com. You can welcome Michael to the team. Uh, M. Gonzalez at TorahResource.com. That's right. That's right. All right. Well, until next time, uh, we hope that this uh, show has been somewhat informative to you all. And drink coffee out of a TR mug. That's right. We hope or, that it, or it or will. Or your favorite beverage, tea. That's right. Till next time. Mm-hmm.